All right, I'd like to call the Monday, August 7th, 2023, regular meeting of the Shoreline City Council to order. Will you please join me in the flag salute? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Will the clerk please call the roll? Mayor Scully. Present. Deputy Mayor Robertson. Councilmember Ramsdell. Present. Councilmember Mork. Here. Councilmember McConnell. Here. Councilmember Povey. Here. Councilmember Roberts. Here. The deputy mayor is absent and is asked to be excused. Is there a motion? So, so moved. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. Second. Yeah. I'll take it as a motion to second. Is there an yeah. objection? Seeing none, the deputy mayor's absence is excused. Next up is approval of the agenda. Are there any requested changes to the proposed agenda? All right. Seeing none, the adapt the agenda is adopted. Adopted. So moved. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Second. Yeah. I'll take it as a motion to second. Is there any? Yeah. Sorry. Deja vu. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Mr. Ellington, your report is next. Woo. <laughs> yeah. The City Summer Event Series concluded last week, and I just wanted to give a big thank you to all the sponsors, volunteers, staff, and community for making them all so successful. We've already been thinking about next year. Of course, we do have one last big event coming up next week to close out the summer, Celebrate Shoreline. Our annual festival celebrating Shoreline's birthday is on Saturday, August 19th from noon to 9 p.m. The festival has two stages with live music and shows, a beer garden, pony rides, children's theater, food, and more. This is a free family-friendly festival, and there's cost for food, beverage, and some activities. Visit shorelinewa.gov forward slash celebrate shoreline for performers, schedules, parking map, and additional information. We look forward to seeing you there. We also have a public art opportunity this week at the Art Cottage in Richmond Beach Saltwater Park. Join our artists and residents on Wednesday to participate in pattern making on textile and found objects. The public is invited to drop in anytime from 5 to 8 p.m. Visit shorelinewa.gov forward slash calendar for information. Registration is open for our tree giveaway program. Community Trees is the city's newest program to grow and maintain trees for a healthy shoreline. When you pick up, the, pick up or sign up for a free tree, we will help you pick the right tree for your yard, plant it, learn how to keep your tree healthy, and to remember to water and care for the tree. Visit shorelinewa.gov forward slash community trees for more details and to sign up for the free tree no later than August 15th. We don't have any other public meetings this week, so we will see you back here next Monday night for the last council meeting before our summer break. Thank you, and that concludes the city manager's report. Thank you. Next up, are, next up are council reports. Are there any council reports? Yes. Councilmember Pope. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, last Friday, we were at Seashore Transportation Forum, and I think we'll be getting a lot of presentations this evening from there. So King County uh, Metro will give an update on, on what's happening. Um, with Metroflex, I think it's a great idea. And then we got an update from Linwood uh, Link as well. So uh, I look forward to more presentations rather than just to you know keep boring you. So thank you. Thank you, Councilmember. Any other reports? Yes. Yes, yes Councilmember Mark. 
Thank you, Mayor. I attended the King County Climate, Climate Collaboration Group, or K4C. They had a presentation from the King County Solid Waste uh, Division. I'm uh, talking about solid waste in the county. It was really very interesting, and they were talking about uh, legislative bills that didn't make it through this session, but may in future ones where packaging is more easily recycled at the producer's expense. Thank you. Thank you. Any other council reports? Councilmember uh, McCown. Um, yeah, thank you. Actually, in uh, addition to what we got at the seashore meeting, I've been coming to these meetings many years and it's really exciting. We're actually going to have a joint meeting of all three transportation boards on September 8th at 9 to 10.30. It will be in person, but there will be a hybrid version. So if you're not on the regular mailing list but want to have a link, um, just let me know and I'll let them know that you want that notification because we started that a few years ago when I was chair. It's, you know, we, we all are always surprised and we all have a lot of this common common interest so uh, and it just fortifies our you know our platform thank you thank you any further council reports All right seeing none next up is public comments this is a chance for members of the public to address us for three minutes or less on items of concern whether they're on the agenda or not my understanding Ms. Hardy is that no one has signed up for remote public comments that's correct is there anyone present in person who would like to speak All right seeing only staff I'm going to close the public comment period next up is the consent calendar is there a motion related to the consent go ahead um, I move to approve the consent calendar. Second that. Will the clerk please call the vote? Councilmember Mark? Aye. Councilmember McConnell? Aye. Mayor Scully? Aye. Councilmember Roberts? Aye. Councilmember Ramsdale? Aye. Councilmember Povey? Aye. All right, the consent calendar passes unanimously. Moving on to item 8A, which is an action item. The public hearing and discussion of ordinance number 992, interim regulations to extend application deadlines. It's a public hearing and discussion, so we're going to proceed with the staff report, public testimony, and then council discussion. So, Mr. Safran, looks like you are the presenter. Yes, thank you, Mayor and Council. And uh, I'm here tonight to uh, speak on Ordinance 992, which is, like you said, the public hearing discussion on proposed interim regulations to extend application deadlines. Uh, staff began hearing from applicants starting in the fall of last year with concerns about the ability to keep existing or new uh, financing to construct permit-ready buildings if these uh, projects are not financed and construction is delayed um, and ready to issue permit, um, they become at risk for expiration if financing is not procured within the timelines outlined in the Shoreline um, Municipal Code. Uh, currently, applications that are in the ready-to-issue status have an application deadline of 180 days. Uh, the applicant can submit um, an extension uh, to the planning director to extend those by another 180 days. Uh, once those uh, permits are um, expired, they would lose uh, vesting status and uh, resubmittal of all those applications uh, by the applicant would be required. Um, for those reasons, staff is proposing that council consider um, proposed ordinance 992, which would adopt interim regulations, which would be effective for six months to provide applicants with additional time to pick up approved permits that are ready 
to be issued. Um, this would allow projects uh, not only not to expire, they remain vested and ready for construction um, at such time as uh, financing can be uh, secured. So uh, specifically, it sets a 180-day deadline for applicants to pick up permits that are ready to issue. Um, the code section currently already allows one additional 180-day extension that can be approved by the director and proposed um, adoption of this ordinance would allow it for an additional 360-day um, extension. Uh, the next steps on this is potential adoption of this um, ordinance uh, next Monday on August 14th. Thank you, Mr. Zephyrin. Uh, I'm going to open the public hearing. Has anyone signed up for to give public testimony? No. All right. And seeing no one in the audience but staff, I'm going to close the public hearing. Council discussion. Councilmember uh, Mork, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, Mr. Saffron, are there many applicants who fall into this area where they would like this extension? Um, there are many. Uh, I can give you one example of the AAA management project that's just north of the 148th Street Station, which has run into some financing problems, but there are more than one, and they are in both of the station areas. Thank you. Councilor Ramstel. Thank you, Mayor. Um, so my understanding is that actually I had two questions in the first one uh, um, Councilmember Mark asked. So the, uh, the second one is um, regarding financing. My understanding is just, just saw, read the newspaper this morning that um, uh, the Fed is expecting more than one um, rate increase. And so I'm kind of wondering if there's going to be, uh, if we're going to do this extension, I mean, how, how helpful will it be if, if financing is the main barrier um, and we're expecting that it may actually be more difficult for developers to obtain uh, financing. Like, uh, what what would, I mean, I'm kind of curious, what would be the outcome if, if, if rates continue to increase? And would, would this actually make any difference? So thank you. If we keep hearing from the applicants and keep running into these financing problems, I mean, these are uh, six-month six interim regulations. So I believe, I'm looking at the city attorney, that we can extend these um, every six months or until that situation improves, perhaps? It, it, would, it would certainly be my preference to extend it piece by piece rather than do a wholesale extension um, long range, uh, just to make sure that the conditions stay the same. Councilmember Roberts. Uh, thank you, Mayor. I want to thank my colleagues for asking the questions that I had, some of the questions I had. Um, what is, this is a six month or, I mean, it's a six month window and under the proposed action we were asked to take, would a developer have to specifically ask the city for the extension? No, not, not as it's written. As I understand it, excuse me, as I understand it, in order to qualify it, they have to be in a place where it has deemed that it's submitted and it's, it's basically being processed, um, but they don't have to affirmatively request anything as, as currently written. So it's just an extension of the window. The developer has to pick up the permit. Across the board, 
And I think it's fairly broad. It probably encompasses more than complex development um, as written. So does this ordinance apply to only those permits that have been issued at the time that we adopt this ordinance, or is it for the next 500 or so days or after we adopt this? It's my understanding once the date of adoption of this ordinance, anything after that would not qualify. So that permit status for multifamily and mixed-use buildings would have to be in a ready-to-issue permit status, and that's a, one of our statuses in, in our permit tracking software. So, I mean, if this is adopted next week, then the date of when it's adopted, only those permits that have been issued at that moment or said that they're approved um, can go for would go forward and get this extension. Any other permit would follow under the existing code. That's correct. Okay. Um, and, okay. So I'm, I'm glad that it's not sort of um, a longer term process. Um, since this is an interim ordinance, we've had the public, we still have to, we, do we have to do another public hearing after this is adopted? on this or is it just going to effect and it's done? One public hearing. I, I think the public hearing is today, right? Today. And yeah. yeah. And then you yeah. just need this one public hearing. We just hearing. need the public. Yeah. Okay. That's correct. Okay. Um, and is there any, so, but because this is an interim, um, sort of a one-time ordinance or not really an ordinance, it's not uh, being incorporated into the Stroling Municipal Code. Um, the, I had a thought and just <laughs> escaped me, but um, th this would not go to the planning commission, this is not gonna go through the planning commission process. This is be because it's done, it's in, and then when this ordinance or when this adoption expires in six months, because those permits qualify uh, under the date that it qualifies, there's no need to go back and revisit this in six months to make sure that those, the permit still retains that ability to be picked up within an extra three. That's my understanding. I, I guess council could always go back and um, see what the, the situation is at the time and choose to extend. But at six months, there's nothing to extend because there's no Unless we wanted to say that the permits that were issued in the next six months should have that extra time. I, I think you raise a, a, an interesting question. And um, since I didn't work particularly on this ordinance and I was just you know, updated on it, I hadn't really thought about the um, impact of if, if the, in six months, if the, if it goes back to 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 not having this provision in it, um, I think that the argument is that it would be vested for the people that fell within it. But I I might want to look at that again, um, in in response to your particular question. 
Because I think what you're asking is if this is approved and it extends at a period of time, but then that approval expires in six months. Is that what you're asking? Right. Yeah. I would, I mean, my initial thought would probably be like yours, that it would be vested. Those permits would get the benefit of this and that, but I don't have the Yes, I, I mean, I'm, I'm more <laughs> concerned about the tracking at that point of which permits fell within it. Um, and that's more of an administrative, I guess, of how that would be tracked because once I'm not following the question. I, I think I'm probably not the only one. Can, can you can you rephrase it? I don't. Well, or, or maybe something. I misunderstood the yeah. question. <laughs> no, you're <laughs> interpreting it right. I just don't. I mean, I don't know enough, but I know enough that it's in our normal process. We have to any kind of, like we did for the um, we're doing for the uh, taxi facility, the buses and taxi facility. It's a six month ordinance that we or a six month resolution yeah. we pass. It, we have to have a public hearing on that, and then it has to go to the planning commission to for revision of the rules. And if not, those that or, that ordinance falls, I mean, becomes invalid after six months unless we take affirmative action to approve it. In this case, we're doing a one-time thing because we're and we're saying that any permits that were issued prior to the date this becomes in effect qualify for this and no permit after qualifies for this. So a permit that's issued, say, in a month, assuming we uh, approve, I mean, assuming sort of the plan for how this ordinance is adopted. Right. Yeah. There's a question of what happens after six months when the ordinance now, or what we're passing, expires and what happens at that point to all of the process that we have put into the, and the extensions we've granted? Because it's not a develop, is it a, and the question becomes, is it a development code ordinance that it becomes vested, or is it an administrative thing that we're passing, which is not vested, because administrative rules are not, do not become vested um, in the same way that uh, development code regulations And are. I think the answer would be that it, it's a change to the development regs at this point in time so that the people that qualify would become vested to the extension. My only comment is that from an administrative point, because it expires in six months, you'd have to have a pretty good picture of who falls within it. And so that was my response. I'm not sure I understand why. I mean, they, they, you vest to an extension, but you also have the extension. So in, at the end of the six months, those permits which were extended, which would have otherwise expired, expire in the six months. That's correct. Those permits which were issued after the date this takes effect would expire according to their normal terms unless you were to extend again. So I, I'm not sure vesting applies. You just but, have but it. My understanding, and maybe I'm thinking of an old version, is that it was extending it beyond the six months. It's extending the permits beyond the six months. My Granicus conveniently is password expired, so I can't look at it. So it's can we pull a, I it think off? it's a 365 day. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So there is a section, section two, um, entitled interim regulations. Um, I don't want to necessarily read the whole thing, but let's see, it says these regulations relate to all permit applications for the development of multifamily mixed use projects identified in the city permit system, blah, 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 to construct these projects 
such as those with the prefix blah 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 that are deemed by the city as prior to issue prior to the adoption of this ordinance or prior to the expiration of this ordinance so I don't know if that clarifies because I don't it understand does, the question it so, does it does clarify it does clarify thank you John it does clarify a previous question which was it, does it only apply to applications are that are vested or that are about to expire as of today's date and the answer is no they continue for six more months um, so I want to go back and clarify my answer in that regard because it sounds like after the city manager read that that it does include another six months I think the, then the question that Councilmember Roberts asked is if it extends for 300 and some days those permits that are now or within the next six months then when the interim regs expire in six months what happens and I apologize I hadn't thought through that in getting up to speed on this before tonight's meeting All right. thanks to the grace of Councilmember Mork I have it in front of me and, and I, I now understand the question and I think I also have the answer because it says a provides that the director may grant an ex additional extension of no more than 360 days okay so if you get that extension then the enabling ordinance expires at 180 days what happens to your remaining 180 and I think that answer is vesting I think you are vested to the ordinance in effect at the time the application was granted mm -hmm. so it doesn't vanish at 180 days it continues for the full 360 mm -hmm. someone if we choose not to renew it someone who comes in and applies on day 181 cannot get it because there's no longer an enabling and that's the administrative right. and that's the administrative part aspect yeah. of yeah. it that's going to have to be yeah. very closely followed mm -hmm. right. um, so Crystal I don't, I don't see this as for, for me I'm comfortable voting for this um, I think we do need to watch it and I'm a little curious about why we're doing 360 rather than 180 but I believe it was a recommendation of the planning director Okay, so I, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I, I think that's a problem that can be resolved. Does, do, do you feel differently on the staff side? Oh. You're not. Oh, thank. Oh, like harder. Okay. <laughs> See, that's how much I speak. <laughs> I barely don't know how to use this stuff after all these years. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I don't see a problem with this because wasn't the original discussion to give some predictability some cover for for the uncertainty of the the whole mur 70 you know the, the denser permitting process it's uh you know uh, th there are multiple reasons for it and i'm not sure why we would even want to deter i mean if somebody knows there's a timeline they're going to try to make it. These are multi-million dollar projects. These, these, these are not small, you know, moms and pops um, projects. They, these people know what they're doing. They know they've got to get, you know, they don't want to miss these deadlines. They're probably more privy to this, to the process than even, you know, individual members of the department who are watching multiple, multiple uh, transactions. So I don't have a problem with, um, with the way this is worded. And when we're looking at six months from now, it's the dead of winter. So it's, after, it's barely after Christmas on top of, you know, with 
all the holiday stuff that goes on in every department, every organization. Anyway, anyway um, I'm not sure why we're talking this over as if we hadn't discussed it, mainly because the people who were listening to us were here last time, and I think at some point they had some confidence in what we had all nodded to bring forth today. And, the, and so that's my, uh, my opinion on that. Thank you. For the comments from council. All right, um, any objections to seeing this on consent? No. All right, thank you, Mr. Saffron. Thank you. Um, next up is action item 8B, which is another one that has, which has an opportunity for public comment. Um, it's the action on purchase of real property located at 2146 North 150th Street. Um, we're gonna do the staff report, public comment, and then I believe we have action on that one. And it looks like Mr. Dom will be presenting. Good evening, Mayor and Council. Nice to be with you this evening. And as you mentioned, we're here to discuss potential acquisition of a parcel for acquisition for, uh, for park purposes for the potential expansion of Twin Ponds Park. So just quick background and I won't read all the text on the slide and this is really a summary of everything you saw in the staff report, but um, starting with the pros plan, identifying a need for additional park service, uh, park land around this, the city to keep up with the level of service at the time, um, and identifying the, the specific goal of five new acres of parkland by 2023, and really focused on um, a few kind of key, uh, at least in tonight's presentation, a few of those key needs that were identified, including acquisition in the station areas in particular, and and securing sustainable funding and making sure we have the resources for the growth of our park uh, system. Um, and one of those things was to establish park impact fees, and that is a source of funding uh, that staff has identified for this acquisition, as well as King County Conservation Futures Tax Grant dollars, which we have brought uh, before you previously for park acquisitions. And so we're very fortunate to have the support of King County Conservation Futures Tax for this acquisition as well. Um, some just background in particular on this property. Uh, this came uh, on the market shortly after some council discussions related to potential surplus of property for the 145th corridor project. And council was very clear with staff that they wanted to uh, find out more about opportunities in that particular part of that MUR 70 uh, station area zoning it's particularly on that west side of I-5. Um, and as I said, this property came onto market uh, shortly after that. And some of the negotiations, uh, all of the negotiations were um, you know, shared with council along the way uh, in executive sessions. And um, so we're coming back to you tonight to present to you the opportunity to pursue, uh, to proceed to closing uh, on this, this purchase. There was a little uh, interesting uh, road to the fully executed purchase and sale in this case, and in, in, in the fact that the seller um, received our offer and uh, chose to sell to a competing uh, offer, which was higher price, without giving us a chance to compete for that. Um, it was said just a little bit interesting scenario where uh, fortunately we have a willing seller in the person who bought the property. And I would say 
that isn't something we expected to be the case. And typically, we come before you at these presentations and saying, if you don't buy it now, this is probably your last chance, because the person who does buy it won't sell it to us. Well, we're very fortunate to have a very community-minded uh, new owner of the property and was, was, uh, was supportive of the city moving forward with it as a park acquisition. So um, it is 2146 North 150th Street. It's on the uh, south side of Twin Ponds Park and would provide for some access to that trail system of that park. Um, obviously, as you can see in the map, uh, it could be a part of a wider expansion of Twin Ponds Park to create more parkland in that fast-growing um, station area. Um, it also uh, is adequate on its own as a small play area or small gathering space or natural and open space. And of course, um, there are some kind of watershed health benefits um, with it being just right adjacent to um, wetland buffers and uh, in an area um, that, as I said, potential future benefit of in improving that wetland health. Um, and so uh, the full acquisition of uh, the parcel altogether, including those kind of closing costs, um, is uh, over a million dollars, 1.129 million. Um, of that amount is the purchase price plus those costs. Uh, again, the seller was willing to sell it uh, to us for the price that they paid on the parcel plus their costs of doing the transaction. Um, and um, so again, just kind of uh, uh, great to have a will community-minded willing seller not looking for a profit on top of what they paid, but just kind of making them whole in the, the costs that they have outlaid in the process. Uh, we have park impact fees available for this and targeted for this part of the city. Uh, and we also, as I said, have conservation futures tax grant dollars, and that award will cover 75% of this acquisition. So one quarter of it will come from um, our own park impact fees, and those are paid by developers uh, at, in for, on a per unit basis uh, in order to have growth pay for growth. Uh, there are some additional post-acquisition costs, including demolition and some limited clearing and, and planting. And those would come from uh, park impact fees. So our proposed uh, action would be for you to authorize, and we would recommend that, uh, authorizing the city manager to move forward. Um, and we have a draft motion prepared to make it easy and, and point to page one of the staff report so you don't have to read the full parcel number. And as was mentioned, given that this is coming before council in a, for the first time in a regular meeting, um, we'll follow rules of procedure 61B where this staff report happening now, followed by public comment, um, and then and open it up to council for your comments, questions, or any other discussion. Thank you. I'm going to open the public comment period. Ms. Hardy, has anyone signed up? No. Is anyone present like to speak to address this agenda item? Seeing nothing but staff and guests, I will close the public comment period, we'll open it to a council uh, action. A motion, yes, please. I would like to move to approve the acquisition of property located at 2146 North 150th Street, identified by the tax parcel number as listed on page one of the staff report, and to authorize the city manager to take the necessary steps to complete the property purchase. Second. Motion and a second. Would you like to speak to your motion? I uh, think it's really important for people to be able to access parks 
This is a, provides an uh, access at a different location. We need more parks, especially uh, in an area that is right by the light rail station, and I fully support this. And I'd like to thank the new owner for being so community-minded. Thank you. Other comments? All right. Will the clerk please call? Oh, Councilmember Pope. I was just curious. Thank you. I saw the 75 percent uh, from King County. Is it a conservative fund? It's the conservation futures tax dollar grant. Yes. So it's from those uh, conservation um, fees that you'll see on your property tax that are paid by all uh, property taxpayers. All right. Thank you. Any other comments? Will the clerk please call the vote? Mayor Scully. Aye. Councilmember Povey. Aye. Councilmember McConnell. Aye. Councilmember Roberts. Aye. Councilmember Ramsdell. Aye. Councilmember Moore. Aye. All right. The motion passes unanimously. Thank you, Mr. Dom, and I agree. Thank, Thank you. the property owner as well. Will do. Next up is study item 9A, which is an update on the King County Metro Bus Service Linwood Link connections. I believe Ms. Walters is presenting along with guests. Good evening, I'm Natasha Walters, Transportation Services Manager for the City of Shoreline, and I am here to uh, introduce the King County Metro staff for, this is their third um, round of uh, community engagement for the Lindwood Link Connections Mobility Project. Uh, in the staff report, we have a summary of the first two phases. Um, we and the staff report recognize and appreciate the input that has been considered and reflected in this current round. Um, they are going to give a presentation on the current um, proposal uh, as well as talk about the significant engagement they've been doing and they're still in the process of doing and we'll plug what's coming up in Shoreline and then we will go to questions. And with that, I will turn it over to, oh, I'm sorry, I have to introduce them. So here's who we have with us. We have Amanda Pleasant-Brown, the Government Relations Jurisdictional Lead. We have Corey Holder, the Linwood Link Connections Project Manager, and Luke Distelhorst, who is the Linwood Link Connections Engagement Lead. Thank you for being here. You may proceed. All right, thanks everyone. Uh, yeah, I'm Corey Holder, I'm the uh, project manager here for this project of service planning at Metro. I'm uh, here to tell you an update of where we're at. Um, I do, before we start, I do want to mention uh, Sound Transit is not uh, here presenting with us tonight, so if there are any specific questions about Link or the BRT line, uh, they'll be need, need to be directed towards them. All right. <laughs> So as far as our project scope, uh, what we're looking at is uh, 23 routes uh, as part of the project that are looking at for potential changes. Uh, 15 of those are all-day routes, 8 of those are peak-only routes. Um, those routes comprise our project budget, uh, so we're looking at all the service hours on those routes, uh, which also includes restoration of any currently suspended hours on those routes, so looking at a pre-pandemic baseline for those routes. So those. Hours are what uh, can kind of be redistributed within the project uh, for any changes. 
Um, and the yellow on the map is our project area where we've really been targeting our engagement and our equity analysis throughout the project. So really wanting to catch uh, folks that live, work, travel within this project area where the most changes are coming. Uh, and for this project, we're uh, really coordinating with Sound Transit on this as we go. So the changes are looking around four uh, light rail stations opening in 2024, Shoreline South, Shoreline North, Mount Lake Terrace, and Linwood. Uh, another station in 2026 at 130th Street in Seattle. Um, and also looking at the uh, 522 BRT changes as well. Uh, so our plan looks at a, kind of the final impl implementation of all those elements from Sound Transit, uh, presenting what it'll look like in the final stage. Uh, but there may be some phasing along the way as some, not all those ele elements open in 2024. Uh, so probably said this here this last time as well, but a reminder on our project goals. So number one, uh, first and foremost, we're hoping to improve mobility for priority populations as defined by our mobility framework. We're an important part of our rider base. Uh, and at Metro, we define priority populations as black, indigenous, and other people of color folks with a lower limited in, uh, income, folks with disabilities, immigrants and refugees, and diverse language speakers. Uh, second goal, uh, wanting to equitably inform, engage, and empower our current and potential customers in the project area. Uh, so really wanting to make sure we're amplifying the voices from those priority populations in our engagement. Uh, third, delivering an integrated uh, service that responds to the link expansion and changes in the transit network. Uh, really leveraging Link to do what it does best with uh, high-capacity transit, carrying a lot of people, and making sure we're not duplicating those efforts. Uh, and fourth, in doing so, we want to improve the efficiency, effectiveness, and sustainability of our overall transit system. Uh, and these goals are consistent with our uh, service guidelines. All right, so timeline. Uh, here we are for phase three. Uh, last year, we went out for our uh, phase one, which was a needs assessment, uh, really just wanting to hear from riders of what the needs are, um, you know, kind of blank slate hearing from that. Uh, that developed our top needs that informed the phase two service concept. Uh, that was out earlier this year. Uh, we really received a tremendous amount of feedback on the phase two proposal, so uh, well over 5,000 survey comments, um, a lot of qualitative input from partners, jurisdictions. Um, all those uh, things that we heard, we really integrated that into changes uh, out for the phase three network, which is in right now. Um, of all the kind of mobility projects I've worked on, this is the one where I've seen the most changes between phase two and phase three. So we really heard a lot of feedback that we were able to integrate in there and make uh, changes that responded to the needs we heard. Uh, so we have that uh, phase three network is out for uh, engagement uh, through August 27th right now. So collecting more feedback on that. Uh, and that is working towards uh, a Q1 of 2024 um, King County Council. Uh, ordinance vote on that, so kind of wrapping up the network by the end of the year for that Q1 uh, deadline, which would uh, we'd need in time for the fall 2024 service change is when the changes would go into effect. Uh, so those phase one needs I mentioned where we went out to hear needs, um, pressure on those, uh, the top six needs identified was number one, uh, we really heard a lot about wanting more east-west connections. Uh, those can be very difficult today, and especially with Link coming, uh, that was kind of the top priority of the rose is creating those east-west connections to uh, connect to that spine. Uh, second, uh, providing transit to important community-identified destinations, especially where priority populations live, uh, and locations with dense housing development plans by 2026. Um, so really prioritizing transit where needs are greatest. Third, wanted her to need for more nighttime service, uh, especially serving major destinations. So that's something we've 
I looked at it, a lot of extended uh, service on routes uh, going later into the night. Uh, fourth, really wanting to maintain and improve frequencies on routes that uh, connect to major destinations or to tran uh, transit, uh, such as Rapid Ride or Stride or Link. Uh, fifth, improving weekend service, uh, which is something in the proposal. There's a lot of uh, improved uh, uh, options there for weekend service. Uh, and last, uh, ensuring that the transfers are convenient, accessible, and reliable, uh, as seamless as possible, especially for priority populations. So looking to provide frequent-to-frequent -frequent transfers where we can. So some highlights of uh, what we heard from phase two and the changes that have resulted in phase three. Um, so some of the top highlights here, number one, uh, in the phase two network, there was a gap on Lake City Way south of 92nd. Uh, that was a top priority we heard of, of wanting to continue that. Uh, our mobility board, who's our um, kind of community group that partners with us and advises on the proposal, also ranked that as one of the highest issues to address. Uh, we, did, we did so on the proposal with route, a new Route 77. It will provide uh, all-day service on Lake City Way. Uh, second issue we heard was uh, service on Linden Ave around 135th. Um, this was at the uh, Sanford Hildebrandt Towers, which have a, a senior and income-eligible housing there. Um, the proposal had removed kind of direct access. It makes a diversion and stops directly in front of the towers. Um, we heard of you know high priority of maintaining that service, uh, which we've addressed in Phase three with the revision to Route 345 to continue serving that. Um, we heard issue of uh, Fifth Avenue service uh, between Northgate Way and 125th uh, in the Phase two proposal did not have service. Um, again, this was an area with a lot of senior housing. Uh, our mobility board prioritized that uh, medium high, and we've addressed that with the change of keeping Route 75 on the pathway in Phase three, uh, which also addressed the fourth issue, which was a lower priority, but the solution was the same of continuing uh, Route 75 to go to Northgate. So that that issue as well. Uh, we heard concerns about connections from Northwest King County to First Hill, that the uh, First Hill peak only routes were um, all eliminated in the phase two proposal. Uh, definitely heard concerns about that becoming a three seat ride, um, so did address that by keeping Route 303 in the phase three proposal. Uh, and a sixth issue that really came out of our community-based organization partnerships that didn't rise as high on the survey, but um, that was maintaining service from the Little Brook area um, south to uh, Nathan Hill High School and into Lake City, so it's on a 145th and 30th area. Um, that was an issue we came up and uh, decided to keep Route 65 on the same pathway as we really heard a lot of priority population feedback of the importance of that connection. And some overall issues as well uh, we addressed in the phase three network. Um, a lot of these are kind of tied back to those phase one needs especially, um, but number one here is Frequent all-day service in 145th. Uh, the proposal addresses uh, all-day frequent service on both sides of uh, I-5 on 145th through a number of routes. Uh, we also heard uh, frequent all-day service on 175th being a connection as well, um, which the revised Route 333 in the Phase 3 proposal provides that all-day service. Um, so service north-south on 5th Avenue Northeast, kind of between Shoreline North and Shoreline uh, South stations. Uh, was lacking in the phase two proposal. We've addressed that with a new route in the proposal that provides uh, all day connection on fifth to link. Uh, we did hear a uh, loss of service on Meridian as, a, uh, as an issue with phase two. Uh, this was not as addressed as highly by our mobility board for mitigation. Uh, we did do some changes that partially address uh, part of that service um, with Route 303 will provide service on the north part of Meridian uh, and the new Route 365 uh, providing uh, service uh, 145th south on Meridian. Uh, as well as the frequent service on three routes uh, going east-west across Meridian, providing uh, frequent east-west connections from uh, kind of the higher ridership stops along Meridian. 
Uh, better evening and weekend service we heard. There's a number of routes in the proposal that have improvements in that, uh, and overall uh, improved east-west connections, a number of uh, routes providing new uh, options there. So for the very high level of our phase three proposal uh, highlights, I think number one, uh, Link Light Rail provides that very frequent north-south service with high capacity. Uh, that allows for uh, a lot more east-west service that doesn't exist today. So really having Link X as that spine and having a lot of routes that crisscross and uh, provide that connection. Uh, really maintaining or improving convenient transit access for equity priority areas and priority populations. Uh, so equity priority areas are census block groups that have uh, the highest numbers of priority populations living in them. Uh, so in our proposal, um, all of those uh, top areas have, uh, have service. Uh, looking at maintaining or creating new connections to schools and community destinations. Uh, overall shifting towards an all-day frequent network that includes more evening and uh, weekend bus service and less peak-only service. Um, of those peak-only routes I shared earlier in the project scope, uh, only two of those remain, and those other routes uh, really allow for um, creating more frequency and connecting uh, for all-day service. And sixth, uh, our fifth and new uh, Metro Flex on-demand service area up in the proposal. Uh, we did not have one in phase two, but phase three, uh, we've introduced one uh, for the area north of Ballinger Way and State Route 522. Uh, so that Metro Connect uh, Flex area would provide a connection to Mount Lake Terrace Link Station or uh, the 522 BRT on the south end. That does cover a portion of shoreline in the Ballinger neighborhood. And shoreline highlights, um, have a map on the right here. Uh, the red lines on here are uh, frequent routes, so they're 15 minute or better uh, service throughout the day. Uh, so we have improved uh, east-west connections, so new frequent all day service on 145th, uh, Route 333 on the west side of I-5, uh, provides frequent service from Greenwood Ave all the way over to the station. Uh, on the east side, uh, the 522 BRT and uh, Route 72 both provide a very frequent service all day connecting to Link. Uh, frequent service on, one, on 175th with Route 333 providing a frequent uh, east-west connection all day. Uh, route 348 uh, upgraded to all day frequency on 185th providing an east-west connection. Uh, and the revised Route 345 would provide uh, east-west service on 155th as well. And all of these routes, uh, frequent ones, provide uh, connections to link service as well. Uh, Shoreline Community College sees improvements in uh, frequent all-day service with that Route 333 uh, is frequent throughout the day, seven days a week, uh, provide a good connection uh, to Shoreline Community College from link. Uh, and as well, there's a, revise, a revision to Route 331 uh, that would uh, connect to Mount Lake Terrace Station. It doesn't make that diversion today, but that would provide another uh, connection from Mount Lake Terrace Station to Shoreline Community College. And also some other frequent options remain that we're not changing in there. I'll just highlight that Route 5 and Rapid Ride E-Line uh, remain. Uh, those are not reduced or uh, changed in the proposal, so those are remaining as additional options. Uh, some more highlights improved service to both Shorewood and Shorecrest High Schools in this proposal. Um, Route 333 providing a frequent uh, connection past sh uh, shore, Shorewood, <laughs> as well as uh, Route 331 continuing to provide that. Um, to Shore Crest, uh, there's a revision to Route 65 that would go north of 145th, uh, down uh, 150th, so providing service uh, near Shore Crest as well with an all-day route uh, that today is kind of only hourly service. Uh, revised Route 345 uh, provides a more direct service to Shoreline Place uh, and the Northwest School for Deaf and Hard of Hearing, so really looking at 
uh, growing developed there at Shoreline Place and providing uh, more direct access on Westminster. Uh, continued all-day connections to uh, Northwest Hospital and North Seattle College as well, uh, both Route 345 and Route 365 providing that. Uh, continued peak service from Aurora Village to First Hill that I mentioned earlier, uh, as well as a frequent connection uh, between Aurora Village and Link, um, with uh, CT's uh, Swift Route being Swift Blue Line being extended uh, to 185th Station. And with that, I will hand to Luke to talk about our engagement. Great, thanks, Corey. You can go to the next slide, please. And sorry to the council members who may have just very recently seen this presentation last week. Um, so as Corey and Natasha mentioned, so we're in phase three now. This is our final phase of engagement. Um, as we go through this process, that phase one needs assessment is really that blank slate. Um, in phase two, we're really looking for that detailed route level feedback that Corey talked about that really informed this phase three proposal. And as we go to phase three, we're kind of zooming out a little bit and taking a look at the network level. So can you find the connections that you need uh, within this final proposal? Can you find your bus? Can you get to school, work, recreation, whatever it is? So taking a step back and really looking at this now holistically after two phases of engagement. Our engagement as a whole is really multi-layered. We use a lot of different tools to reach a lot of different audiences. Um, some of the things you might most visibly see are you know, large-scale communications, news releases, social media, blog posts. We also try and show up in community a lot in terms of community centers, libraries, other places where people are going for their daily needs. Um, we do host three online open houses that are really great times for people to come and ask us questions. I think our third open house last year, we answered like 110 questions um, in that 90-minute online open house. At those events, we do provide interpretation always in three languages, and then anyone that requests an additional language, we arrange to have that live interpretation as well. So our second open house will be August 15th, and we got our first request for ASL interpretation, um, which is exciting for us that we get to then uh, fill that need for that person who made that request. So we're looking forward to having that happen. Our third open house will be August 19th as well. Those are also hosted on different days of the week at different times to ensure that we're providing um, better access and having them all at the same time or only on weekdays. Um, another important part of our outreach that most people unfortunately don't get to see is the engagement that we do with our operators. They're driving our buses every single day. They're ambassadors for our agency and interacting with riders. Um, so Corey and team will be starting, I think tomorrow morning, um, talking with our operators about this phase three network. Uh, we do coach tests, so we take a bus out and we drive all these new routes and make all the turns. Um, we did that earlier this summer, but we also want to make sure that we talk to our drivers and make sure that they can actually safely operate the route. They also have a lot of intel on what they're seeing day to day with the ridership, where people are, where people aren't, um, and so we really want to include that in our engagement, even though it's kind of a less um, public side of things. Lastly, we do a lot of in direct engagement with key communities. Um, so this shows up in our CBO partnerships, um, outreach to educational institutions, income eligible housing providers, um, really looking at where there are equity priority populations in our project area and doing additional outreach to making, make sure we engage with those communities. So we're using the same four CBO partners that we did in phase two, um, Lake City Collective, Compass Housing, 
um, 18 seeds, an affiliate of the Ethnic Chamber of Commerce Coalition, and Black Coffee Northwest. Um, so you notice two of those have a strong presence um, in Shoreline, maybe shifting for one. Um, but actually, a couple weeks ago, we went to both Compass Housing Properties. So they have a veterans housing property right next to Aurora Village Transit Center, and then Ronald Commons as well, to have some of that direct engagement um, with those communities. Uh, at the, the veterans um, facility, they are 100% non-drivers. So all of those residents rely 100% on transit for their transportation needs. Uh, and that's something that we really take into account when we're doing our engagement of who needs our system the most to work for them uh, and speaking to them and making sure that they are able to find uh, the connections that they need. At the end of this engagement, all of these CBOs provide us a report with their information so we can synthesize that alongside our survey results. Our survey is obviously much more qualitative. We have, hopefully, if people fill out the demographics, that information to go alongside of it. And then we get qualitative information from our CBOs that, um, as Corey mentioned, we end up seeing a bit different information. Um, and so it really helps us kind of see a more complete picture of the needs of our communities. And I always have to pitch this because I work in public engagement. When you get those questions at the end of your survey, please answer them. Uh, not only do we take people's information into account when it comes into the routes, but we do for engagement as well. Um, so some of the things we heard in those final last questions at the end of a long survey um, were about people not immediately seeing that their route was part of the network, part of the project. Um, so someone who was in Bothell or who was in North Ballard, right, here's Linwood Link and thinks like, ah, it's so far away from me. Um, and so in all of our email alerts that we've sent out now, we're like, project routes, here it is. You are receiving this email for a reason. Uh, please take the time to, to come check out our ideas. Um, we're also seeing that proportionally way more people are learning about our project from the signs like in that picture that are placed out on bus stops. So I think we had 90 um, bus stops with signs in phase two. We upped that to 123 in phase three. And we're actually, uh, when I checked some brief results earlier today, um, the signs at stops were what people actually most identified so far about learning about our project from second being the metro emails and texts, which are always a great way to reach our riders. Um, so again, we're really trying to take the feedback of how people are learning about our project and then put more resources into those areas. Uh, King County also updated their website and it gave us the functionality to put a banner across the homepage. Um, I'm not sure what the, the Shoreline uh, webpage is totally like, but sometimes these projects can live two or three menus deep and be a little bit difficult to find. Um, so making sure we put that project right across the homepage of Metro uh, for the first month of engagement was really helpful in driving some traffic there. And just lastly, this is kind of more specifically about moving from phase two to phase three, um, but we further simplified our route sheets. In phase two, they were all new routes, and we felt kind of the need to put some narrative sentences to help kind of explain the routes to folks, seeing them for the first time. Um, we tried to simplify that, so now it's really key destinations, sort of like you'd see if you went to a schedule page, you might see the time points. Um, so a similar thing here to say, here's the route, here's the eight places that it goes, and here's how often it runs, and just give that key information for folks. We'll also have uh, a shorter survey. I think we have about eight or 10 questions total that you can answer beyond the demographics and engagement questions. So in the phase two survey, providing comments on every single route, 
I think you could have like up to 40 or 50 questions. And if you're a real transit enthusiast, you might go through all of them, but you know, some people time out as well. So taking that step back and looking more at the network level, we have a shorter survey and we're seeing way more complete responses compared to phase two. So our survey is open through August 27th, so we're just over halfway through. Um, earlier in the engagement phase, we were at Swingin' Summer Eve as well as the Farmer's Market. Um, we'll be at Celebrate Shoreline on August uh, 19th. Uh, I'll be there probably early in the afternoon. We're gonna have some outreach at the library um, on 175th as well as Community Center. Don't have dates for those yet, but those are more of just a small pop-up table. Um, and then we've been doing in-person outreach at, you know, key transit locations in the city already, and that will continue through August 27th. I think that's it. Great, thank you. Questions or comments from council? Councilmember Popey. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Um, hearing this for the second time, but I still love it because of the success stories. Now I wanna flip a little bit. I wanted to hear some challenges. What are, what are some of the main challenges or obstacles you foresee in this project, specifically uh, phase three? You have any thoughts on engagement? Uh, for engagement or for the network? For or? the entire project. The entire project. I mean, for, well, this probably is for both engagement and for um, the network, maybe, but there are so many needs in our communities for transportation, right? And it, it's tough to fill all of those needs. Um, I think that's the hardest thing is, you know, you can't dismiss engagement, right? It's all important. Everyone has to go from a place to a place and uh, not being able to fulfill those needs is always a challenge. Yeah, I'd say, and, you know, around those needs too, it's, you know, working with a budget neutral process here, you know, we really had to think about prioritizing, you know, which top needs, uh, you know, will we address that there's a lot of things, you know, we heard in the project that we couldn't address everything, but, you know, really trying to focus on the, the top priorities, you know, working with our mobility board on that and really hearing, you know, where those, where they would prioritize it and also looking at, you know, equity as well and the answer of, of you know, where's the highest priority populations at, you know, trying to where that need is greatest. Thank you. There's a word I love, which you just mentioned, budget. And so with that, I mean, there's no way you can give an update on the project without mentioning, okay, we budgeted six million, we've spent four million. We don't know where the two million is coming from. And so just when you mentioned that, it came on my mind, are there any contingency plans in case funding sources change or are delayed? Um, I think our, you know, funding source is pretty well set on the project for the number of hours we're looking at. So I think we're not, um, you know, looking at uh, contingency on there as like as far as funding it. Um, I think where risks are, you know, as as you know, we've had some shortages with workforce challenges as well as fulfilling that. So I think that's maybe where risk is. Is like we have the budget, but will we have the you know drivers and maintenance to be able to, to fully operate it? So I think that's where, you know, some risk is out there. So. Okay, <laughs> I just want to understand your response. There's no money with, uh, there's no issue with funding. How to spend it is a problem, that's what I'm hearing. <laughs> I think that's accurate. <laughs> that's all good being news able, then. Being able to fulfill it, yeah. Okay, hopefully. Councilmember Roberts, or Councilmember Connell, I didn't see who was first. Either way, um, it, uh, thank you so much again. Uh, 
at 7.30 in the morning, I don't always remember it all. So, you know, it there's so much to digest. So uh, I'm, I'm sure um, that you're getting better and I'm getting better at retaining a lot of this information. But thank you so much. And I think Natasha mentioned it at our meeting that you listen to the community, you listen to our staff. And, you know, because we are the, you know, the foot soldiers of all the people that we're supposed to represent. And I don't run it as much, but uh, I'm glad that you had 5,000 people, because those are the people that are letting you know where, where you really can't mess, you know, take away ridership because, um, you know, if you, if you can't walk the distance, like you, you know, your veterans, they're they're not able to walk like I am. If I miss the, if I don't have a bus stop somewhere close, uh, and and they are going to be your frequent users. So thank you very much for um, really keeping that in mind. And um, and I think you had mentioned or I read that your biggest concern about bringing back drivers, right? Because many of them. Enough of them left. Um, some of the ridership dropped down, but also they left because of the policies. And so that you are reaching out to some of those people or many of those people and trying to get them back because obviously they are trained. Mm -hmm. And um, and and then also finally thank you for really looking at what Shoreline's going to look like in not even a year, a half a year maybe, with you know one building coming up and that many new riders that don't exist today. They're going to be really happy to have that bus line going to light rail and other points. So especially with the, the apartments where there's less people who use multiple cars. So thank you for seeing the future because it's just around the corner. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Um, and I want to thank King County and the work that you've done to put this together. I think it's a much better, uh, I thought the first draft was good, and I think this is a much better uh, draft, uh, recognizing the budget constraints that we have. Uh, it's, it's still not perfect, but uh, I think that largely, I think for me, it comes back to when we talk about frequent service, we really need to be focused on less than 10 minutes so people are not have, don't have to rely on a schedule to try to figure out when their bus is going to arrive. It's night, I mean, people who want to use transit and as a writer myself, it's like, okay, did I just miss my bus? Did I, do I, have, did I give myself enough time to get to this stop? And if I miss that stop, how long am I going to wait until the next bus arrives? Um, and that becomes frustrating, especially when you have to transfer, when you're sort of transferring or you're trying to get to a certain place by a particular time, um, whether it's because the business is closing or because you want to meet people for, um, just for anything. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you, it's when you have that transfer, the frequency of service really matters. And, uh, I think that. I see nods around the table, but I think that the recognition, and this is a council, county council priority not and decision, but when we talk about frequent service, I mean, we really need to be frequent. Um, but I do have a couple, and the other thing I really like about this plan is the uh, new uh, flex service areas. Um, I, um, I'm, I'm encouraged by what yeah, I saw in terms of uh, presented to Seashore the other day. I looked at, was looking at that and um, the successes that you have there, and I like to see that it's being brought here. Um, 
I like the um, service area, um, partially selfishly, but uh, um, also, I mean, I like the fact that it's one of those services that is going to cross the border, um, county border, and provide service to, um, uh, it looks like it even goes into Burien, but I can't quite tell where the line is. <laughs> but uh, I think that's a sort of a good service. Um, it's just disappointing that it's not on weekends also. Um, and so there's a and this could be short, I mean, it could be staff shortages, it could be a lot of things, but um, whenever you have that sort of very low, I mean, I would say 30 minutes is not very frequent, not anywhere close to frequent service, um, having some sort of alternative service is helpful. Um, so, I mean, it's just a slight disappointment. Um, I know ridership is different on weekends, so, I mean, we have to be realistic and, and make choices. But the, all of that said, the question I have is, what is your policy around diversions? So when do you when does it does Metro decide to make sort of a cut and go off a main highway? I mean, there's a there's a section on off um, um, on Ballinger where the bus sort of diverts for looks like to be no reason. Um, you have additional diversions for to meet some of these low um, the, the low income tower down in Seattle. Um, but what is the policy? Why, why, when do you determine when a diversion is necessary? Because for riders, especially going through, I mean, these diversions are often slow, and and especially if you get caught up in traffic leaving that place, it becomes frustrating for as a rider. Yeah, in the case of that diversion up into uh, on the Route 331, that was that specifically to serve the Mount Lake Terrace station. So I no, I mean that that one's how I understand. Yeah. But there's another spot. Oh, the one where it splits off yeah. in Ballinger? Yeah, I think a lot, one reason we do that is more of uh, stop safety placement, that there's uh, in the northbound direction, there's not uh, great locations for placing stops in Ballinger's. It goes up around where there's kind of safer uh, locations with the infrastructure to support a stop. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, is there a general policy as sort of when you make those decisions? Uh, we do have like a diversion analysis we run that's looking at um, kind of ridership uh, assets there and the number of riderships. Uh, I don't know all the calculation at the top of my head, but we, we do look at that at where it's a case of, you know, does the ridership base support uh, doing this? Um, in some cases, there are capital constraint <laughs> driven as well mm -hmm. causing that. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. And I can add, uh, following up on your comment on the Metroflex as well, uh, I'll add we are in conversations with community transit on, on a partnership with that as well. Um, that one does across the county line into parts of Mount Lake Terrace and Briar. So we're, we're in active conversation with them to um, kind of have some contribution there and hopefully be able to expand that to weekend or later service is the goal. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Mayor. Councilmember Mark. Thank you, Mayor. I was so disappointed with your second one because you had basically totally eliminated service in the Hillwood area. And I'd like to say thank you for what you have done. Um, the frequency is not good. I so wish I could uh, compliment you on that. It is not good, but it ex still exists. And I'm very grateful that you did that. I think it was a very good move to connect that to the Montlake Terrace Station and to connect it from the Montlake Terrace Station all the way to the community college. 
so that people in Snohomish County who want to go to Shoreline Community College, and I think they exist and they want to ride the bus, have an option. Thank you. This is a much better solution. I appreciate it. Councilmember Ramsdale. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, I'd just uh, like to uh, piggyback on what the uh, Councilmember um, work had to say regarding what it uh, to me, just a really dramatic improvement over um, the previous draft. Um, I think the city and myself had expressed concerns about uh, the route on 145th of 304 being eliminated, uh, especially with you know planned development on 145th. A lot of the um, uh, uh, what the ridership that had been on 304 would, would have been diverted to the Northgate station, um, uh, which would have required. I mean, if there's a, a senior housing project on uh, King County Senior Housing Project on 145th near and Greenwood, there's some new development on Westminster Triangle and, and 145th. Um, so that, and that you're kind of linked that into both high schools and the community college. I think it's just a brilliant um, kind of change and really thrilled to see that that happened. Because um, I noticed a lot of those people in the southwest corner of Shoreline would have had to take a car, you know, um, to that 148th Street. Uh, um, uh, uh, stop. So this is a uh, dramatic improvement. I really, I'm really kind of uh, thrilled with the changes, and can't imagine how hard it was to like decide um, where do we put 333? How do we serve all these people? Um, just f phenomenal work. Thank you. Any further questions or comments? It has been well said, and I have nothing to add. Thank you all very much for coming in. Thank you. All right, our final, our final item for tonight is study item 9B, which is an update on parks bonds projects. And I believe Mr. Bilbo is joining us for that presentation. Oh, Mr. Borer. Good evening, Mayor and Council Members. Thanks for having us. Always a joy to be here. We're happy to come here and uh, bring you up to date on where we're at the bond project. We've been meeting weekly for quite a while now, uh, really focusing on this, uh, focusing on permitting, and we are still on track to break ground on a couple of the sites later on this year. So with that, I'll leave it to Jacob to fill you in and bring you up to speed on where we're at. Great. Thank you, Nick. Well, we've accomplished quite a bit in the past year, and we still have a little bit of ways to go. Um, and I'm going to try to cover that as quickly as I can tonight, maybe in about six minutes. Um, so I'm going to start with uh, an overview, overview of the project timeline. Um, I'm then going to provide a summary of the work that we've completed to date. Um, I'll then talk a little bit more about the work that we're currently engaged in, and then finally, the remainder of the work um, which will conclude at the end of 2024. So um, I'll start again uh, with the background of the project. Um, the city contracted with a progressive design build uh, consulting firm, Forma Methune. The project kicked off in July of last year, and almost immediately we started with our surveys and site analysis for each park. Um, as we started getting results for each survey and 
we shifted to our basis of design exercise where we right-sized elements um, of the designs and then also cons uh, conducted costing estimates for each park. Once that was completed, we moved into schematic design and simultaneously uh, we're conducting our public engagement over the winter of last year. And um, schematic designs were completed in the spring of this year. And that really brings us to where we currently are, which is the design de development, which I'll go into a little more detail here shortly. Um, I do want to remind council, um, I'm going to refer to bundles, bundle one, two, and three. We did bundle the projects together. So bundle one uh, includes Crookerberg, Shoreview, Ridgecrest. Bundle two is Richmond, Highlands, James Q, and Brewers Bog. And bundle three is Hillwood Park and Briarcrest. So what you're seeing on your screen here is a uh, summary of, uh, an example of the summary of one of our engagement efforts. So um, really quickly, Methune developed unique um, designs to look in the feel of each park based off the unique history of each park as well as feedback we were getting from our engagement data. Um, that was then presented to residents um, in a, um, uh, a survey in an um, online open house format which took place over uh, about four to six weeks in December and January. We then uh, gathered the results from that survey at the conclusion, and that's how we selected the final theme for each park. So the majority um, votes um, selected each park. And we have a, um, a summary of that below here, which is also included in the staff report. So currently, we are focusing all of our efforts on design development and permitting. We have completed design development for bundles one and two, and we anticipate that design development for bundle three will conclude in uh, early winter this year. Um, we anticipate having permits in hand for bundle one at the end of September, which puts us on track to start construction uh, this fall on our bundle one parks. And Bundle two and three permits will be approved hopefully in the spring of next year. So there's one thing I'd like to note um, in design development. We, after conducting um, our survey efforts, we heard quite loudly from the public that they wanted to see um, us include trails at Richmond Highlands and Hillwood. So staff went back, reconciled the budget, and were able to free up some funding to where we could do just that. So we have re-included the loop trails at Richmond Highlands and Hillwood. In addition, we applied for a King County Parks grant for just under $600,000. And a few weeks ago, we received word that we are recommended by the King County Parks Board to receive that grant. So it's really good news. So we hope that the legislature pass, passes that this winter. Um, what you're seeing here, unfortunately, is not the updated schematic designs. This is my fine design effort here. Uh, we are going back to the drawing board, and we will be updating these. We will have them in time for Celebrate Shoreline, and as soon as we receive those, we'll pass those on to council for you to have as well. So finally, after design uh, is complete, design development is complete, and after we have permits in hand, 
we will just be focusing on construction. And as I mentioned, bundle one will start this fall, bundle two will start in the spring, and bundle three will start in the summer. And we are on track to conclude right now um, in the winter of 2024, um, and, that, and that's construction. Um, I want to note that although the public engagement phase has technically concluded, we're continuing to provide um, updates to residents um, whenever we can, uh, mainly on the Parks Bond webpage on the city website. I've included a link here below. Um, we also put updates um, in our current articles. Those go out to every um, resident with an address in the city of Shoreline, so they should be able to get updates there as well. And we will also continue to uh, engage with residents at events. We have Celebrate Shoreline coming up and then the Ballinger Friendship Festival, which we will be uh, having a table at. Um, finally, I want to end on a high note. Um, hopefully council is aware, but we are planning a groundbreaking ceremony um, for September 18th um, at uh, Richmond Highlands Park. So we're really excited about that and we hope to see everyone there to help us celebrate. And with that, I will open it up for any questions, comments, or discussion. Questions or comments from council? I looked left first last time. <laughs> Either of you want to go first. <laughs> right, got some remark. <laughs> Thank you, Mayor. Um, how did you decide what to bundle with what? Just out of curiosity. Sure, it was really based on the varying complexity of each park design paired with uh, the requirements for permitting. So we started with the low-hanging fruit first that we can quickly get out the door, which is bundle one. Um, and that's why uh, we sent that through permitting first, and we're slated to start that construction sooner. Thank you. Councilman Ramsdell. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Um, I'm curious about the community um, outreach. Uh, you, you, you sent out surveys. I'm kind of wondering what kind of response you got from those surveys or how, how many I'm just kind of wondering how many subjects you had to kind of uh, evaluate, you know, what the needs were, for what the response rate was. And, uh, so. um, I don't recall the exact numbers right offhand. Yeah. We can certainly provide that. Um, yeah. I think that's something I probably have to get back to you on in detail. Nick and yeah, we could get you yeah. exact numbers. Yeah. Um, it's what I would typically expect. From like experience in the past. Yeah. Okay, yeah, just like maybe just not yeah. exact numbers, but like more like ballpark. Do you feel like, I mean, it was just kind of very minimal response? I, I want to say, I want, um, I'm just guessing here, but I want to say we had around 300 responses. Okay. And um, it was like, I mean, was it kind of spread throughout the city, or did you find like certain pockets of the city kind of responded more than other parts of the city? I'm kind of curious about um, like, We weren't actually tracking where residents were located, oh, okay. so that information wasn't um, tracked. Oh, okay. So, All right. Um, and uh, what time is the uh, groundbreaking around September 18th? I'd I really believe like to be there. It's, right now, it's we're thinking around five o'clock. It's going to depend on okay. uh, speaker availability, but I know that we want to have time for council to get back here. We're okay. going to schedule it around your schedule. Yes. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. That's yes. fantastic. Yeah, plan plan to be there. All right, thank you so much, Councilman Roberts. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Um, thank you for all the good work you, you've put done with these projects and. I know that uh, at National Night Out, the many people I talked to were very excited about these projects coming online and it's like, okay, when, when's, when, where are we going to be next? Um, I'm also glad to see that um, the loop trails at Richmond Highlands and Hillwood are back. 
Um, so can you, when we're th- talking about loop trails, I mean, are these going to be paved trails or are these going to... Yes, so... I mean, there are six-foot-wide trails or something? We're still working out those details with permitting. Um, Richmond Highlands is going to be paved. Um, it's going to be... The whole point is to provide access um, throughout the entire park. Currently, there isn't um, ADA-accessible parking or a walkway on the west end, and so we are going to also include some frontage improvements there as well so that we have accessible parking. Um, at Hillwood, we're still working out those details on exactly what the material is going to be. I understand the vinyl Hillwood. But it's likely, I, I'm, I'm thinking it's likely going to be paved as well. The intent is to pave. Um, there's other mitigating factors. Uh, Hillwood, there's drainage issues around right. that, that field. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're designing it in such a way that we can come back later, get some drainage in there and come back later and maybe uh, upgrade that field and make it more playable uh, mm-hmm. than it is now. Uh, same thing at Richmond Highlands. You know, we, to put a sidewalk in, uh, and actual street improvements, we'd have to take out pretty much all those trees. So we're putting the path, but it's actually going to be in the parks where it would be a sidewalk out there, trees gone. Now it's going to be in the park, and you still have that loop and be able to get around. Mm-hmm. Uh, intent is for, it, the intent is for everything to be accessible, mm-hmm. um, wheelchair accessible all the way around. Okay, I mean, that, that's awesome. And I think that uh, having, I mean, when we move the sidewalk interior to a park to save trees, I think there's a usually a good thing and i think that it also provides more interest in the in the the path itself because then it can be windy rather than sort of the straight sort of this is a sidewalk but you can do more interesting things when it's curvy now the reason i asked specifically about richmond highlands is because when you try to do a path especially an ada accessible path on that south side you're running right into that baseball field I mean, the baseball field is, is yeah, schedule, I mean, on the chart. We're, we're planning on moving the baseball field. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I think, I think right behind um, the backstop there, there was, it was, I couldn't even fit my shoulders, so we are moving that. Okay. Because I remember playing, my child playing there and coaching there, and yeah. it was a tight fit anyway, and so. Backstop's going to move. The backs, good to hear the backstop's moving, and maybe we can get some, figure out how to do some. A little bit of uh, seating too, on maybe both sides, so you're not looking directly in the sun uh, to watch a game. Um, but I mean, I'm glad to see that um, things are being thought about. Is that on that field, with with the path there, with, that things are going to have to change and things are going to have to move to make sure that we retain the, that field, especially since we're losing the sort of the bigger field on the north side. So. Um, okay, yeah. Let's get, let's get these things done faster, faster, <laughs> faster. <laughs> thank you. We thank want you, to. Councilmember Pope. Thank you. Not a question, but just wanted to thank you and coming up with the themes. I loved it. Hillwood is. Um, um, is it puddles and bubbles? Yeah, I was. Yeah. I, I didn't know we were bubbles and puddles, but yeah. Pipes. Okay, pipes. Okay. That's all I wanted to say, thank you. (laughs) But great idea, it's just being creative. I appreciate it. Councilmember McConnell. I actually didn't have anything to say, but because because we have more funding, we were able to add those, the the trails in that I remember we were really angsting over money 
and you know we we all had a discussion about what we thought needed to stay so it's always great when i hear you say grant <laughs> get really excited it helps yeah it helps i'm sure it helps you all too to not have to be so tight thank you very much for that Thank you. I just, I just one for me and one from the deputy mayor in absentia. Um, the one from me is Hillwood has a native plant restoration area that was done by volunteers. I couldn't tell from the schematic what the status of that is. Is that going to remain? The intent is to not touch it at all. Not touch it. Okay. Correct. All right. Great. I, I just, it cut off, the drawing cut yeah. off, and I just couldn't tell. So thank you. Um, and the deputy mayor is concerned about the osprey nest in, it's actually, I think it's in Hamlin, not Briarcrest, but whether we were going to be able to accomplish construction without disturbing. We, we aren't coming anywhere near that okay. at all. We're, we're, we're not, not going to touch disturbed it. either. Mm -mm. All right. I will yeah. let her and the Osprey know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we, we, right. We're yeah. also quite fond of it and look forward to seeing it out there, so we don't want to disturb it at all. Gotcha. All right. Any other questions or comments? No? Thank you very much. Really appreciate you coming in. Thank and you. And that concludes this meeting, and we're also uh, in recess for a couple of weeks, so I'll see you all in a bit.